Welcome to this episode of Beads Podcast, a weekly reflection on church history with Dr. Michael A.G. Haken. Dr. Haken serves as the chair and professor of church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is on the core faculty of Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. He's also a fellow of the Royal Historical Society in recognition of his contributions to historical scholarship. Join us now as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people. In this episode of Beats Podcast, we want to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Last week we were looking at Macarius, this 4th, early 5th century monastic author who has had such a significant influence upon Eastern Christianity and to some degree upon Western Christianity. I mentioned last week about the influence on John Wesley. He really is a remarkable figure in his understanding of the Christian life. Last week we looked at the way in which he emphasized, in a way that's almost Augustinian, it sounds like Augustine, the dominion of sin in the human life, the dominion of sin in the interior interiority of the human heart. This week we want to see how Macarius sketches the way in which God frees men and women, and that is through the Spirit, and how the Spirit enables us to be triumphant in the battle against sin. So our first section then deals with what we might call the sweetness of the Spirit. The situation that we looked at last week, the dominion of sin in the interiority or the in- inside of, a, of the human soul, can only be changed for the better in Macarius' thinking through a person persistently crying out to God for help to transform him or her from bitterness to sweetness. So it is that Macarius can argue that even the man confirmed in evil, or the one completely immersed in sin and making himself a vessel of the devil, still has freedom to become a chosen vessel. In other words, the freedom we have is is limited to the freedom to call upon God to change us. Given Macarius' views about the devastation that has resulted from the fall, which we detailed last week, this statement must be taken to mean that Macarius believes that human beings have enough freedom to cry out to God for salvation. Without God's aid, though, through the gift of the Spirit, no one will ever return to their senses from their intoxication with the material realm, Macarius says. Without the life-giving power of the Spirit, one is dead as far as the kingdom goes, being unable to do any of the things of God, for the Spirit is the life of the soul. And so great is the plague of sin in the human heart. Healing is only found through the medicine of the Holy Spirit, Macarius emphasizes. Macarius can also liken the conversion of a person to the taming of a horse. Prior to being tamed, an unconverted person is like a wild and indomitable horse. But once, quote, he hears the word of God and believes, he is bridled by the Spirit. He puts away his wild habits and carnal thoughts, being now guided by Christ, his rider. The Apostle Paul was, for Macarius, a great example of such a conversion. He'd been living under the tyrannical spirit of sin, and as a persecutor of the church, he can be only rightly described as being steeped in evil and turned back to a wild state. But Christ arrested his progress in sin and flooded him with ineffable light, liberating him from sin's domination. Here Macarius stated we see Christ's goodness and his power to change. From another angle, 
Macarius describes conversion this way. The Spirit comes into the entirety of a person's being to put it in order and beautify it, just as a house that has its master at home shows forth an abundance of orderliness and beauty and harmony. The gift of the Spirit in conversion, though, is only the beginning of what formed a major aspect of Macarius's theological reflections about the Christian life. Sometimes, he says, the believer's life is flooded with the joy of the Spirit, and he's like a spouse who enjoys conjugal union with her bridegroom. That's an amazing image, because remember, Macarius is a monastic author, and most of these homilies were probably initially given to monastic audiences. On another occasion, he says, the believer finds himself overwhelmed by grief as he prays in accordance with the love of the Spirit towards mankind. This again is a fascinating uh, image that he uses of God. God uh, weeping over human sin and the, the lostness of humanity and the love that God has for humanity. Other times, Macarius says, there is a burning of the Spirit which inflames the heart with regard to the things of God. Then, just as deep conjugal love between a man and a woman leads them to marry and leave father and mother and all other earthly loves, so true fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the heavenly and loving Spirit, ultimately brings freedom from the loves of this age. It bears noting that for Macarius, the gift of the Spirit is dependent upon the cross work of Christ. Likening Christ's cross to the work of a gardener, Macarius argued that through the cross, through the crucifixion, Christ, the heavenly and true gardener, removed from the barren soul the thorns and thistles of evil spirits, as well as uprooting and burning with fire the weeds of sin. With the removal of these, he can now plant in the soul the most beautiful paradise of the Spirit. In other words, the gift of the Spirit is a fruit of the death of Christ. When Carius thinks about the cross, he does so in primarily two ways. And uh, this has been a, a, a significant uh, subject of significant uh, interest in the uh, 20th century. Ever since uh, Gustav Aulin's book, uh, Christus Victor, in which he argued that the early Christians uh, had the idea that the cross was primarily a place of victory, and that the idea of penal substitution atonement is a much later medieval perspective that emerges with Anselm. Macarius thinks about the cross in primarily two ways. On the one hand, the cross is a place of healing, and he describes Christ as the true physician who has come to heal everyone inflicted by the incurable wound of sin. This is a description of Christ that goes all the way back to Ignatius of Antioch, the first decade of the second century. But then, Macarius conceives of the cross as a place of ransom, where Christ's life is given in payment for those of sinners. And thus, Macarius argued, Christ's blood was poured out on the cross so there would be life and deliverance for humanity. Again, he can state, Christ came to the earth to suffer on behalf of all, to buy them back with his blood. And so the idea that the penal substitution atonement is something much later, uh, you see evidence of it here in the late 4th and early 5th centuries. The gift of the indwelling spirit, though, does not mean that the person, the man or the woman whom he indwells, is now exempt from spiritual warfare. For where the Holy Spirit is, Macarius stresses, there follows persecution and struggle. As Marcus Plested has noted, uh, a Macarian scholar, 
Macarius argued for a profoundly militant Christianity. There is persecution in the church by the powers of this age. The faithful believer is nailed to the cross of Christ and knows what it is to experience the stigmata and wounds of the Lord, according to Macarius. And there is also struggle within the heart of the Christian, such that even the most mature Christian can fall back into a life of sin. In part, Macarius argued this is because of the malice of Satan, who is without mercy and hates humans, and thus never hesitates to attack Christians. In part, though, it is because Christians, even those who are intoxicated with God, that's a very favorite uh, patristic image, the whole idea of sober intoxication that you find at Ambrose and Augustine. Because Christians, even those who are intoxicated with God and bound by the Holy Spirit, they are not under constraint to do that which pleases God. They still have a free will. And thus Macarius reads, for instance, Ephesians 4.30 to mean it was up to Christians' will and freedom and choice to honor the Holy Spirit and not to grieve him through sin. Macarius personally knew men who seemed to be making great progress in the Christian life and then yielding to sin, lost everything. One man, a Roman aristocrat, seeking to follow Christ, had sold all of his possessions, freed all of his slaves. He soon gained a reputation for being a holy man. But, Macarius said, pride entered in, and eventually he fell completely into debaucheries and a thousand evils. Yet another, he says, suffered as a confessor in a great persecution. Now, Macarius might be thinking here of the last great imperial persecution of the church in the Roman Empire, namely that of Diocletian. But um, that would have been about 70 years before Macarius is writing this or preaching this, and it's unlikely that he could say that he knew such a person unless the man had lived to a great age. Uh, it could be then that he's thinking of a man, a Christian, uh, in the Persian Empire, because persecution went on in the Persian Empire all through the 4th century. This man had been a confessor. He had confessed Christ and been imprisoned. He was horribly tortured. tortured. But while in prison, a Christian woman sought to minister to him. But tempted by sexual lust, they fell into fornication, Macarius says. In other words, a man can be making great progress in the Christian life, but fall into sin and uh, really shame, uh, bring shame upon his profession. The Christian experience of life in the Spirit then in this world is one of great struggle against evil powers. And uh, Macarius likens the struggle against evil powers to struggling against rivers of dragons and mouths of lions and dark forces. It's an image he brings up a number of times. It's not clear where he derives the image, maybe his own thinking, um, but it's not clear if he's drawing it from another literary source. Ultimately, though, it is not the human will that is the determinant factor in perseverance in the Christian life. It is the power of the divine spirit that is the critical necessity for a person to attain to eternal life. True to the pneumatological focus in much of his thought, Marius Macarius thus concludes, quote, If a person thinks he can effect a perfect work by himself without the help of the spirit, he is totally in error. Such an attitude is on becoming one who strives for heavenly places and for the kingdom. Macarius's vision of the Christian life then is of victorious liberation from the tyranny of sin by the power of the Spirit of Christ. It begins with a heart dominated by evil due to Adam's disobedience. Conversion brings liberty 
from this dreadful state of affairs, but plunges the believer into a warfare of indwelling sin and external spiritual enemies. Although the human will is now truly free to follow Christ or go back into a life of sin, ultimately it is the grace of the Spirit that spells victory in this war. In many ways, Macarius's homilies are not marked by a deep theological sophistication that you might find, for example, in the works of Gregory and Issa. But nonetheless, Macarius's deeply realistic approach to the human condition is emphasis on the vital necessity of the Holy Spirit to effect eternal transformation and desire to take seriously human responsibility, revealing to be a thinker worthy of attention in our day. A day, a day is a day that is marked also by a fascination with spirituality and a passionate interest in what it means to be truly human. And here we have a voice that sounds a lot like Augustine, but in a very different tradition, the Syriac and Greek Christian tradition, and uh, confirms, I think, in many ways, the biblical emphasis on the dominion of sin in life outside of Christ and the struggle of the believer against sin and the vital, vital importance of the Holy Spirit. Macarius, in many ways, is a thinker that we need to recover in the 21st century. Beads Podcast is in partnership with H&E Publishing, a reformed and Canadian publishing house seeking to spread the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through the publication of church history, biblical spirituality, Christian living, and theology. Join us next time as we seek to see what God has done in the history of His people.